Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Horror, Wine, and Crime with KK and Lo. What's going on? Me being Lo, her being KK. True, true. (laughs) Clarification. Just in case. case. You You guys don't know our voices by now. (laughs) I'm the one that's always stuffy. (laughs) (laughs) She's the one that's been sick for the last five months. Yeah, I was good, and then I wasn't, and last night I lay there watching TV. I even went to the gym yesterday. I thought, okay, I did that freaking bars done class. That's killer. That, right? Then, that was, like, one of the good ones. And then, on fire. Uh, I came home, and I took a hot shower, and then I was watching The Bear, and then all of a sudden I started shivering, and I couldn't stop, and my teeth were chattering. I couldn't even get up off the couch to go upstairs because I was shaking so bad. Oh Luckily, gosh, Charlotte whoa. left the heated blanket on the couch, so I grabbed it and plugged it or hit on, and I laid there and let it heat up, so I laid there for a while until my body stopped, and then I went upstairs, and I slept with the heated blanket on top of my comforter, on top of my Shit's Creek blanket, and I'm just like, I was either full-blown sweating or cold chills. There was no happy medium last night. Oh, my gosh. So guys, the struggles that Lo has endured <laughs> with her health the past month, like, she's been sick, like, what, four times? Yeah, I think so. My husband says it's stress-related. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that, but he thinks whenever I get overwhelmed or, I guess, emotionally unhinged. <laughs> Or, like, super stressed out, I end up getting a cold, like, right around the same time. It's his theory. Um, I could I could see it. I mean, stress does a lot on the body, especially if you were already sick in the beginning and your immune system's low. It could definitely take a toll. Low, low, low. Yeah. <laughs> so, dealing with that, but um, other than that, spirits are maintained level <laughs> off <laughs> i would say they're high um at least they're not it. like at least they're not like super like you know they're not like low <laughs> no just you know high school drama shit you know fun times Ugh. teach my daughter how to walk away from a bad breakup that kind of stuff but yeah well Cheers to February and health and all that going up. Uh, Thanks. Thanks. No more sickness. I feel like we said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. No more sickness for you for the rest of the year. I know. I need to stage my house. I feel it needs to be done again. Yeah. Get all the bad juju out. Um, And other news... Uh, the Justin and Brittany battle is just escalating, and that's fun to watch. He just is a big baby. Like, I feel like he wants (laughs) this Justin. I feel like he wants everybody to hate him. I don't know. Like, I get Brittany's book probably did hurt him. But then she tried to say, okay, it's gone on far enough. I'm sorry. Like, it's not her personally. It's her fans. They're kind of like Swifty fans. You know, like, they're loyal. And uh, she even said, I love the song. It's a bop, you know. 
And then he went and said, I apologize to effing no one. And then sings Crimea River. Like, it's just like not a good look. Like, like you said, it's it's her like fans that are doing it, not her. Like, it's kind of like, you know, when you're like, oh, well, whatever. They can talk bad about me. But if they talk bad about whoever I love, then I'm going to like come for them. That's like how her fans are. But it's like right. he can chill out on that. He doesn't need to even if he doesn't want to address it, then like don't address it. But don't like play into it and like try to like fuel the fire. Yeah, but she's pretty quick at snapping back, you know, but um, I don't know. I mean, I get it. It's disappointing. He's puts a new single and all the Britney fans make the same name of the song that she did from 11 years ago to number one. So his is number three. But I mean, what's to say they say the Swifty fans run so Britney fans can walk? Oh, my gosh. I've never heard that, but I like it. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Swifty, uh, poor Tay-Tay, she gets 13 Grammys, an amazing night, looks stunning, has to deal with her ex-boyfriend, you know, 10 feet from her, still manages to be classy, and she can't just accept her awards. We have to have a Kanye, Beyonce thing all over again, this time with Jay-Z, like, I get it, that's your wife, baby. Bay, Beyonce. I'm not discrediting Beyonce. She's a singer. She's great. However, let Taylor have her night for once, please. Yeah, like it's always Beyonce. It's like Beyonce. Like, I don't understand. I just don't get, like, it's not classy to do that, I feel. If I was Beyonce, I would put a quote out saying, like, congratulations, beautiful. You deserved it. Mm-hmm. something from her old words yeah because like, i feel like around me if, talking for me i feel like beyonce herself is kind of like oh my gosh i guarantee she was mad at him well they said looking at her like she was sitting in there like oh my god here we go again yeah. you know like, even blue ivy up on stage with him she looked like oh, oh my gosh dad <laughs> like please be quiet <laughs> but that's all the drama and headline news I got for today. So, well, it's some it's some big stuff. So, oh, R.I.P. Getting ripped Kobe tonight. Keith. No, well, <laughs> different, <laughs> more serious R.I.P. Oh, I think you talk about that. You know that song, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> I was talking about Toby Keith. Oh, yes. We are raising our red solo cups tonight and doing a a shot of whiskey for him. In his honor. And a beer for his horses. Yep. (laughs) Poor Toby. That that one kind of, that stung a little bit when I saw that. Yeah, my sister told me, and I didn't even realize that, uh, because he had passed away from stomach cancer. I didn't even realize that he was sick. I had no idea. Because he, he's pretty young. Yeah, yeah. Well, someone said showed me or sent me a thing saying that he had posted a statement saying he was going to try to tour in 2024. Wow, that's so, so they sad. So I thought that he was at the men's. Yeah. Maybe he, like, felt like he was and, like, felt like he was getting stronger. But then maybe it just kind of was 
getting worse or something out of nowhere. I have but that's so sad. So our condolences definitely for his family. Because yes. that's sad. Not a fun situation. I did hear, though, that for Super Bowl, I know it's Usher, but I thought I heard rumors that Snoop and Dre are going to try to go on stage with a hologram of Tupac. Oh, really? I don't know if that's true, but I'm in, I'm here for it. Hmm, I wonder if they will. And who's doing the national anthem? Post Malone? Reba back in no. there. Reba. Post He's Malone's singing like, like God Bless America or America the Great or something. Which, do they normally do that? Do they normally do two? I, I don't know. Honestly. Hmm. Not that I remember, but... Okay, Crystal, or I mean, shh, KK. <laughs> what do you uh, what do you got for us tonight? Well, today we have a double feature on some husband slaying, snapped edition. So we got a two for one going on. Okay. Yep. So both of these come from, you know, the iconic snapped television show on Oxygen, where people. Snap. <laughs> and in today's case, two two wives were the ones that uh, snapped on their husbands. Okay, okay. Which you know, everybody snaps like on their on their husband, but like these two are a little bit more intense than your average snapping. So is this all together? Like two besties decided to take out both their husbands together? Nope. This is two different stories. Oh, shit. Okay. Yep. Okay. I thought it was like maybe it was a group thing. Like, I'll kill my husband if you kill your husband. <laughs> like a pact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of interesting. I'm sure there, I guarantee there's probably a story like that out there. <laughs> but no, we get a, a two for one tonight on two different uh, situations about it. So, our first one this man, he was brutally attacked. And chopped into about 66 pieces. So okay. we shall get into how that occurred. <laughs> I'm just looking at some of these names and I'm like, good fucking luck. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do our best <laughs> with them. <laughs> you always find the stories with the crazy names. It's like you would think it's like me like purposely choosing them, but no, I just you just be drawn to the stories. That's what happens. I don't know. Okay. Uh, maybe it's like a challenge. I'm trying to like challenge myself <laughs> to say pronounce these names. But yeah, this occurred in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And police there called it one of the most gruesome crimes that they had ever come across. So Rita Glusman, she helped murder her husband, Yakov. With the assistance of her cousin, Vladimir Zelenin. Now, Vladimir was caught in the act by police while trying to dump Yakov's chopped up body into the river on Sunday, April 7th, 1996. So, this goes back. Like, how do you just get caught? Like, right? Police like, officers you... just happened to be like fishing that day. <laughs> right. So, 
Richard Freeman, a former East Rutherford police officer, said when he discovered the garbage bag in Zelenin's trunk, he said you could see like a scalpel, a pair of pliers, an axe, belt, and shoes. So, you know, kind of a weird combo to find in somebody's trunk. He says you could make out a piece of what would appear to be skull, but missing an ear. We just could not believe what we were looking at. Never in my wildest dreams would I have ever thought that I would encounter such a horrific scene. And, like, could you imagine? I mean, you become a police officer, right? And, like, I'm sure you're expecting to come across some, like, you know, not so fun things that you're going to see throughout your job. But, like, to see that, like chopped up body parts it it happens it's not like the most extremely rare thing ever but like it also like doesn't happen that often right so freeman he was on a routine patrol down by the river um and this was actually on easter morning and while he was on his patrol he saw two cars that were parked near the bank with the trunks opened and garbage bags inside of them. And then he saw, like, a man walking near the river. As the man walked um, closer, Freeman opened up a garbage bag and saw what he thought was human intestine. Which, side note, can he technically do that? Like, can, you know, can the police officer, like, would he need a warrant like, because he's going technically inside of the car's trunk to look in the garbage bag. You know what I mean? Like, is he, or is he cool and free to just, like, open it and look into it, into it? Well, I mean, I guess if he's, like, seeing some suspicious stuff, that's just cause. Right, that's true. I mean, I'm glad he did, but I just wasn't sure how, like... I mean, if you see a skull and, you know, some tools and body parts i think there's just cause to proceed to search the vehicle <laughs> right like and now's your chance because by the time you'd get a warrant they would dispose of everything so he says i asked vladimir how many bodies were in the bags and he answered one and with that he started to motion his head to the left which was to the other trunk and he said more parts I guess he was, like, helping him out. I think he was probably just like, well, shit, I'm caught. Might as well just <laughs> tell him everything. So police and divers managed to recover the garbage bags from the river. Now, Hilda Kogut, who was a former FBI agent, she says that we were talking about large, hefty bags filled with body parts. You know, these weren't just, like, you know, typical trash bags. Like, they were, like, huge construction-type bags. Um, what if it's, like, the new lavender scent? <laughs> to cover up the smell? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> she said roughly 66 pieces of this man were in these bags. She says, and they were small pieces, like parts of his arm, parts of his hand, fingers, eyes, the heart liver she said it was fairly gruesome an ugly situation which like 
I feel like it would probably be more than just fairly gruesome, but that's just me. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like Humpty so, Dumpty. You just couldn't put him back together again. Could not. At that point, he was definitely a goner. <laughs> so Vladimir obviously was caught, you know in the act and so he confessed to the brutal murder to police but he said he didn't do it alone he also pointed the finger at his cousin a 47 year old rita glesman um and he says that she was the mastermind behind the murder who happened to be her husband so he kind of explains to the police why he conspired with rita to kill her husband. Um, Vladimir identified the murder victim to police as 48-year-old Dr. Yakov Glusman. Now, Yakov was a world-renowned scientist. He was famous for his breakthroughs in cancer research. And he had known his wife, Rita, since the two were children. Uh, they both came from Ukraine, which at that time, it was part of the Soviet Union. Yakov and Rita got married in 1969, and after a hard-fought battle, the two were allowed to immigrate to Israel, where they lived with their only child. So in 1977, they immigrated to Long Island, New York, which obviously is in the U.S., and by 1987, so about 10 years later, Yakov was working for Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, which was a pharmaceutical company in Pearl River, New York, and he was researching cures for cancer, which I'm like, really? You got to kill somebody who was researching cures for cancer? <laughs> like, he was doing good for the world. Only the good ones die young. Yep. So the family settled into a large home in the affluent area of Upper Saddle River in New Jersey. And Rita launched her own technology company with Yakov's help. And it was called ECI Technologies. Now, Vladimir immediately provided a motive for Rita to want her husband dead. I guess the couple at the time were going through a pretty bitter divorce. Um, and it was even to the point where Yakov had moved out in 1995. So the previous year and he had gotten his own apartment. That's kind of how serious they were about going through this divorce. Now, <clears throat> Kogut says once the divorce became a reality, she was going to do anything that she could to protect the assets that she had. Vladimir claimed to police that his cousin had come to him in February of 1996 and asked for his help to murder Yakov. When he turned her down, she threatened his employment at her company as well as his immigration status. Could you imagine, like, your cousin doing this to you? Like, first of all, just even asking you to murder their hu husband. 
But then if you say, uh, no, you're a little bit crazy, I'm not doing that, then to, like, say, well, you're going to lose your job and I'm going to get you deported. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's a little, uh, it's a little harsh. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have some issues at Thanksgiving, just so you know. Yeah, it's going to be a little awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Rita had been threatening that if Vladimir did not help her to, like, kill her husband, you know, she was going to go to authorities, tell them that his political asylum application was falsified and that he would then be thrown out of the country. Um, and according to Vladimir, he felt like he had no other option, which, like, I that is a really tough position to be put in. I mean, morally, you shouldn't murder somebody. <laughs> you could, I don't know. I get it. He was in a really tough spot, but like he definitely did not make the, the right decision. So Vladimir also shared with police the murder plot that Rita devised. So, because she had access to her husband's apartment, they waited for him to come home on Saturday, which was that April 6th day, and then they just ambushed him. Vladimir confessed to hitting Yakov with an axe multiple times before Rita then joined in. Rita had a hatchet, and Rita was, like, furiously hitting him with this hatchet just right on top of his head nonstop. Vladimir also claimed that Rita took a knife and stabbed her husband repeatedly in the torso to make sure that he was dead. I think um, the hatchet in the head probably did it. Just saying. That's what I'm thinking. Like, for I mean, for one thing, for her to even want to like kill him, but then to just go so crazy on him while she's killing him is just like that's a even more rage. insane. Yeah, exactly. Um, and according to Vlad, he uh, was the one that dismembered Yakov, and then Rita cleaned the apartment. So Vlad was the one that chopped him up all into little pieces. But Rita's the one that, I guess, technically finished killing, like, you know, killing him. Now... Volvo said he was trying to cut up the body into such small pieces that it could not be identified. So that's why he cut off the ears. He cut off the nose. The fact that one person could do that to another human being just shocks the conscience so much. Like, he, it's he one thing have to called, uh, what was her name? Mimosa? Mimoa? Uh... Oh, um, yeah, what's her name? She would have told him, like, dude. Oh, Mima. My dude, the garbage disposal, it works. For a bit. <laughs> right. It's so crazy, like, especially if he didn't even want to be a part of the murder. If he didn't even want to murder him in the first place. But then to chop his body up in so many little pieces. I don't know if he thought he was just, like, protecting himself by doing that. Being, like... They're never going to find him. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like, that's crazy to even think like, about doing that. 
do you think like summer is messed up brain as he's cutting he's thinking like this is very therapeutic <laughs> oh my gosh i hope not <laughs> like to get from uh, zero to 100 so quick you know what i mean like gosh like craziness um but yeah i i just cannot even imagine so he alleged that him and Rita dragged all the garbage bags filled with the body parts to his car and to Yakov's car. And then they both drove them to the ECI Technologies parking lot, which was by the river where they were caught. And then Vladimir says he took Rita home before returning to try to dump the garbage bags in the river. Do you think they were living in a van down by the river? <laughs> You got all the jokes today. Sorry. All the puns. <laughs> so several of Yakov's neighbors, they confirmed part of Vladimir's story, including hearing banging and hammering in his apartment, as well as seeing the two put garbage bags into the cars on that morning. Um, it was definitely difficult for the medical examiner to formally identify the hacked up body, because, you know, the fingerprints had been cut off. Um, but he was identified because they used dental records. Um, so they did make sure that it was him. So while they were trying to find Rita, police kind of took a deep dive and investigated the couple's finances. Um, so... Although Yakov had offered a very generous divorce settlement, it had been rejected by Rita. It just, like, was not good enough for her. And it, it seemed to them that the two were fighting over ECI technologies because Rita wanted the company signed over to just her, but Yakov wanted to see more of the financials of the business before agreeing to, like, sign everything over, which I kind of get. I mean, he's the one that started it for her like he's the one that helped her create it i get that it's hers but at the same time without him she wouldn't have it so like he should be entitled to get some financial you know something from it but she did not like that rita was not on board with that plan um but they did while investigating found a reason why Rita did not want anyone looking closely at the company. You know, Volvo says she was eating out at fine restaurants, buying furs, getting a bunch of jewelry and expensive clothing. You know, all these things that she really could not afford, they were all being paid through the company, through ECI. And she was spending upwards of $20,000 a month on all these things. Ooh, girl. Yeah, not not good. So another reason why I'm sure Yakov did not want her to just fully take over the company. So police said that Rita was also using the company to pay not only her own mortgage, but her mother and her sister's mortgages as well. And she also leased expensive cars through the company. Uh, greed. Yeah, big time. Um, but honestly, the couple's battle, it wasn't even just 
only a financial one. Rita also had a very personal motive to want her husband dead. So Yaakov's phone records showed that he was calling a number in Israel very frequently. And that number belonged to a young researcher that he met while he was on a trip there in 1994. And then once he moved out on his own, he began having an affair with that woman. So now it's kind of coming together for police. He goes on a trip. He meets this woman. All of a sudden, he doesn't want to be with Rita anymore. He moves out. He has an affair. And then he's not giving her all the money that she wants. So she felt very, uh, felt very scorned. Yeah, I get that she uh, she showed him too how scorned she is. Yeah, and and Volvo said, yeah. "How dare he find someone else, find someone younger than her?" Basically, if she couldn't have Yakov, nobody could. Rita went so far as to plant recording devices in Yakov's apartment and hire a private investigator to follow Yakov and his girlfriend in Israel. She threatened to ruin his reputation with photos taken if Yakov's family did not pay her $100,000. And when that blackmail didn't work, she worked with her cousin to have her husband killed. Which I'm like, Rita, move on. <laughs> People get too crazy when stuff like this happens. Like, she went extra crazy. So police eventually found Rita hiding in a cabin on the campus of Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, um, which that's where Yakov worked. And they found her on April 12th, so about six days later. Now, Vladimir was offered a plea deal to testify against her at trial, and he was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison. Um, but he was released in 2015. Now, on January 29th, 1997, a jury found Rita Glesman guilty. This was not an aggrieved wife who was about to be divorced because of her husband having an affair, but rather a cold, calculating individual who did not want to lose the lifestyle that she was accustomed to. Um, and that, that's what Valvo said. Now, Rita, she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, but in 2020, she started developing and getting the beginning stages of Parkinson's disease. And she had um, suffered several strokes in prison. So in July of that year, a judge granted her compassionate release at the age of 72. So she's not in prison anymore. She's under court supervision until 2025, and she wears a GPS monitoring device, um, and she is confined to her home. Which, it's crazy. I don't know. Like, she's not going to hurt anybody else, I'm sure. She's old and sick, and she, it's not like she just kills random people. She just. Not that it was right, but she killed with a vendetta. So I get it. Like, she's not going to hurt anybody else. But does she, like, deserve to, like, 
be out of prison. You know what I mean? No, I don't think so. I mean, you took a life, no matter yeah. how you slice it and dice it, you know? And it's not like I hit him with the vase and I thought I was just going to, like, knock him out and he died. I mean, she went, like, stone-cold rage, like, full-blown Lizzie Borden took an axe. Yeah, like, hacking at his at his head and then like slicing and stabbing his stomach and then watched her cousin cut him into a bunch of pieces. Like it was just like so cold hearted the entire thing. And I'm not saying he was like being a great husband to her, but he did not deserve that. No, that's what divorce courts for. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So, yeah, that was a numero uno on our husband slaying uh, stories of tonight. (laughs) And moving along to the second slaying, we have Sharon Hurt. So she was an aspiring gospel singer. She had her husband killed with the help from her in-laws, a lover, and Benadryl. So Sharon Hurt, she was, like I said, an aspiring gospel singer. She had never made it big like she wanted to. Um, But that definitely did not stop her drive to achieve riches. So her whole deal with murdering her husband, which his name was Don, was to get her hands on his $250,000 life insurance policy. Of course. Of course, but she obviously did not do it alone. And even $250,000, like, that's not lifelong living money. No, it's not. Especially if you're trying to split it with people. Like, it's not like she's just getting it. If people help her, they're like she's obviously going to give them a cut. So her sister, Marcy Murray, and brother-in-law James Murray were convicted of helping her get rid of her husband. Ricky Hurt, who was Don's son, said the most guilty person would be Sharon because she could always say, nah, I'll divorce him. Instead, prosecutors and police said that Sharon plotted with her family to murder her husband in a drive-by shooting, and when that failed, she planned to drug him and kill him six months later. And drive-by, she went all like hood. That's <laughs> it. She went gangster with it. This gospel singer, my goodness. <laughs> so uh, to kind of go over the murder, it happened on the morning of December 20th, 1991. A bystander found a man slumped over in the passenger seat of a car by the side of the road near Godlettsville, Tennessee, which uh, is just like a suburb of Nashville. So when police arrived, they discovered that the man that was kind of slumped over was actually dead. The man had been shot twice in the head, which ruled out suicide. And although not much evidence was found in the car, the man did have his wallet on him, which also ruled out robbery. And his driver's license identified him as 52-year-old Charles Donald Hurt. And 
Everybody called him Don. So with no indication that the body had been moved, police believed that Don had been shot and killed right there in the vehicle. The autopsy report indicated that Don had been murdered between 7.30 and 8 p.m. on December 19th. The pathology report showed the two gunshots had come from different angles. Now, Roger Moore, who was a prosecutor, he says that it was as if the person had moved and or possibly could have handed the gun to someone else who fired a second shot. The bullet wounds also showed the shots had been fired from close range. So it's not like somebody was like super far away when they were shooting at him. Like they were right there at the car. And Moore says that if a killer gets that close to someone, that indicates that he knew who killed him. Which I get, but also like not I feel like not always. Like in the scenario, yes, obviously, but someone could just like run up on your car and like shoot you in the head. It doesn't right. necessarily mean that you know them. But I'm sure it just helped them like lead to figuring it out, looking at it that way. Well, I think a lot too, because they didn't take any of his stuff. Right. So yeah, so like, it's not like a they didn't take the car, they didn't take his wallet, they didn't take, you know, so this was him they wanted. Right. So a toxicology report also showed that Don had large amounts of Benadryl in his system when he was killed. And I don't know if you guys have ever taken Benadryl, but even one of those things knocked me out. <laughs> so I can't imagine having a large amount in my system. Yeah. And experts said that Don would have been incapacitated by the drug in his body. So, like, that shit knocked him right out. Moore said that the amount of Benadryl in his system could really only have been placed in a drink by someone close to him. Um, and so that's kind of, like, what made them look at Sharon. Don and Sharon, they had been married for three years when Don was murdered. Both were married before, and then they had children from previous relationships. When police talked to Sharon, she told them that she'd last seen her husband around 7 o'clock the night before his body was discovered. She alleged that he had met up with someone at a flea market to buy a gun and never came home. Um, Sharon then reported him missing on December 20th, just as police got the report of the body discovery. But she also dropped, like, a pretty important piece of information to investigators that her husband had also been shot six months before this murder. So, kind of what happened six months prior to this when he got shot police talked to don's family about how he was shot just months before his death so his family members told police that don had been driving near the tennessee river another uh by the way thing close to the first story is happens near rivers <laughs> But he thought that he had a tire blowout before realizing that he was covered in blood. Which is so crazy if you really think about it. 
he didn't even realize he got shot. Like his body just probably immediately went into shock and he just heard a loud noise. So he thought his tire blew out. But then he was like, I'm covered in blood. Which is just like so crazy. So he was able, thankfully, at that point to get help and to get to a hospital, which saved his life. Um, He also reported seeing a red Firebird vehicle driving next to him before the shooting happened. Um, Sadly, though, during that time, investigators were not able to find the culprit. And it's so crazy because Don obviously didn't even know that his wife was behind all of this. So the wounds that he suffered during the shooting caused Don to be unable to work. Um, And that obviously placed a big financial strain on their family. Uh, There was a bankruptcy filing that had occurred shortly before his killing. So they were just like going through it financially. And it's just probably blaming him. Like, we need more money. Why can't you work? Right. When really it's like all her fault. And so while they were like investigating all of this, they learned that Don had a $100,000 life insurance policy that was filed after he married Sharon. So shortly before he was shot for the first time, that policy was magically increased to $250,000. Weird. So his son, right. So his son, Ricky, says, after my father got shot, he canceled it. And what I was told was that Sharon went back and reopened his insurance. And my father did not know anything about that. Which I am curious why he canceled it after he got shot. Like, was he suspicious? Did he know something? Um, I just think it's weird that he canceled it. But she went behind his back and just reopened it again. And maybe he had an instinct that she might have had something to do with it. Right. So family members suspected Sharon had been with Don for his money since the start of their marriage. You know, she was trying to make it as a singer in Nashville when she got divorced from her ex-husband. Um, and she met Don soon after that. Ed Morin, who was a former Metropolitan Police Detective, He kind of had this theory. He says, I think that she was using Don as a means to an end to support her music career. You know, like maybe I'll make it in the music industry and I have this guy who can like support me financially. Um, And she did record one album, but, you know, her career as a singer was largely unsuccessful. Like she had like no success with it. And her ex-husband, Ron Deeringer, he says, I don't think she wanted to come back home a failure. Excuse me, that was her son, not her ex-husband. But um, he says that she tried to be a star and she didn't make it, but she did find a rich man to marry is the way I take it. Which the fact that her son is even saying this kind of just like makes it even more viable. Right. Like you're going to say that about your own mom. Like it must be pretty true 
So there was another man in Don and Sharon Hurt's marriage. So loved ones also revealed to police that they suspected Sharon Hurt had found a new little, new little guy more than a year before her husband's murder. So while Sharon was working at Lowe's, she met Joe Rowe. <laughs> which, <laughs> I knew you were going to laugh. <laughs> like, what a name. Um, no, I was like, Sharon was working at Lowe's. She met again. Joe Rowe. It's like a Dr. Seuss quote. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even put the Lowe's with it, too. <laughs> so Joe ran an electric company in Nashville. And he had gotten Sharon a job as a secretary working for him. So she met him while she was working at Lowe's. And then he got her a new gig at his his company. Now, Moran says, I think it was pretty obvious to everybody that was close to them, even Don's children, that she was sleeping with Joe Rowe. Like, she obviously wasn't trying to hide it. She was making it pretty clear that they had something going on. Police learned that Roe had provided Sharon with money to buy a pink Cadillac and had been paying her extra cash under the table at her job. So she was out here taking all these men's money. You know, she, she's got a husband, Don, taking advantage of his money and then, you know, has this whole plot to get even more money from him. And then she has like a little side piece and getting money from him as well. Sometimes she wouldn't even come home for two or three days in a row, um, Ricky Hurt said, who was Don's son. He says, you don't stay all day long and all night long at work unless you're doing something. It's crazy. Right in front of my father, right in front of everybody. Like, so she was just clearly out here having an affair and not caring that it was super obvious to everybody. Investigators found... Roe was in bankruptcy and also had a financial motive for Don Hurt's murder. So he was like, oh, we can get rid of your husband and take his money. I'm on board. But it was a tip through Crime Stoppers, which they always come in clutch. I feel like we have so many stories where Crime Stoppers are just like a big, huge part of it. Shout out, Crime Stoppers. Shout out. So they finally... It gave police concrete evidence against Sharon Hurt for her husband's murder. The tipster said that she'd been driven, or excuse me, that she had driven by the murder scene before police got there. She recalled that when she had passed by earlier, there were two cars at the scene. It struck her as odd because it wasn't like a usual place where people would pull off and park. But the most striking thing that caught her attention was the car that was in front was, in her recollection, a pink Cadillac. Yeah, it's kind of a Which flashy like, car. That's not just like a normal black F-150 that you see every That's what hours. I'm like. Are you stupid? Like, I mean, I'm glad because it like ultimately helped lead to catching her. But like as a criminal, are you stupid to like park your pink Cadillac, the most like a most obvious car to have, right where you're shooting your husband. It's so stupid. Like, obviously, somebody's gonna see that. So Roe and Sharon 
fled the state together after her husband's murder, but they were eventually found and arrested in September of 1993. So it took a minute to find them, but they were eventually found. Um, and after his arrest, Roe agreed to talk to police in exchange for a lower bail amount. He admitted to providing the weapon for Don Hurt's murder, but also pointed the finger at Sharon's sister and brother-in-law. Joe testifies that they, being Sharon, her sister Marcy, and brother-in-law Jimmy, plotted to kill Don. They got a handgun from him. He knows they gave Don a drink laced with Benadryl, and they took Don out, walked him out to the car, got him in, drove him out, and came back. And that Jimmy told him at one point he and Marcy both had shot Don with the same gun so that each of them would be equally responsible. As long as it's equal. <laughs> right, I guess. <laughs> so Roe also claimed that Murray, the both of the Murrays were responsible for Don's first shooting. And like the one that happened uh, six months prior. They were the ones that did like the drive-by. So Don had told police after that first shooting that a red firebird pulled up next to him. And guess what? Jimmy Murray had registered to him a freaking red firebird. So a shotgun was found at the Murray's home that matched the shotgun that was used in Don's first shooting. Now Moore said, Marcy... I really believe her motivation was that she just loved her sister. And if Sharon asked her to do something, she would do it. And like, I don't get that. I love my sister. But if she asked me to murder her husband, I would say, let's go get you some help. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, I get that. I mean, I guess I'd have to hear her out and figure out why. But then I'd we're right. If her reasoning was just to get his life insurance money, I'd be like, "We, there's another way. <laughs> like, you don't have to do that. hormones right now. I mean, let's, let's yeah. sit down and figure this <laughs> right. out. Situational. <laughs> so in July of 1995, Sharon Hurt, Marcy Murray, and Jimmy Murray all went on trial and were convicted of first-degree murder. Marcy and James Murray will be eligible for parole in 2026. And Sharon Hurt will be eligible for parole in 2024, so this year. Um, and she will be the age of 71 at that point. Wow. Yeah. So even her son, um, on Snapped, he says, I think she got dollar signs in her eyes and, and thought to hell with everything else. So, like, if her son's saying that, you know that it was just, like, all she cared about was the money. And then in 1996, Don's mother was awarded the proceeds of his life insurance policy, which, good. I mean, I kind of am confused why his mother got it and not his kids, but I'm hoping that the mother, like, you know gave some out to his children but yeah who knows and then joe Rowe he pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and he was sentenced to 18 years in prison 
um, but he did end up dying behind bars um, in 2018. So he has passed away. But everybody else is up for parole pretty soon. Uh, so we shall see what happens with that. But yeah, that was a numero dose of our husband slaying edition. <laughs> greedy, greedy women. Uh, it's all about the Benjamins. Right? Honestly, both stories. I mean, obviously yeah. the first the first one, she was also, I'm sure, pissed off because he left her for another woman. But the money was also a huge factor in it. I mean, the fact that she was spending twenty thousand dollars a month on just like stupid shit that she did not need. And then this one, she just wanted his life insurance policy while she was getting more money and another man on the side. It's just like the theme is uh greedy women for sure. Yep. It catches up to you, y'all. Greed is an ugly color. So it's very, very ugly. So if you're ever feeling like you're wrapped up like in your feelings like these women were, just remember every they get they all got caught. So yep. just don't do that. Maybe they all got caught and they all got super old in prison. So probably not the best way to go about those things. <laughs> you ain't gonna get no Louis Vuittons in prison. Mm -mm, not at all. Unless you have like some fans that are like Dude, writing letters and sending you stuff. Prison. You're gonna get like <laughs> no. <coughs> less than wish type flip flops. Right. <laughs> Which good. Well, That's what they deserve. Oh, for real. But thank you for sharing these stories and bringing another night to HWC. Yes, hopefully you guys enjoyed this double feature tonight. <laughs> and Lo, I'm sure, will come back with another crazy story for us. No Next pressure, week. no pressure, no pressure, okay? No pressure, you always deliver. <laughs> and maybe by this time, next week, Crystal will have watched the Natalia Grace. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so. We should like do like a countdown to see how long it takes me. Right. Now I want to do is talk <laughs> about the freaking ending. Just watch the ending. <laughs> I know. You know what I could do? Honestly, it's on Hulu, right? Yeah. I could just set my phone and play it while I'm working when I don't have like like meetings or anything yeah or when you're i don't know on flight to new york okay yeah because you can download stuff right on hulu yeah okay yeah. yeah okay guys it will be done by next week i will see i promise i promise <laughs> but my nose is drippy and mm -hmm. it's gross and i feel gross and i think you guys think i'm gross you no probably am. never never so we're going to cut it here, and I'm going to say we got to go. Stay creepy, guys. But you know what? Also, salute your Red Solo Cups. Cheers. Yes.
beer runs down in front of my back. Well, that, my friends, is quite yucky.